You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. <sighs> well, how do we feel after we heard that passage from Jeremiah? Pretty intense, right? So before we get into the message, I, I do want to say, say one thing formally. I've brought this up on Wednesday, but I wanted to bring it up again today. Um, our fellowship team has been knocking it out of the park recently. I mean, we've been throwing a lot of stuff at them, um, and, and I've never heard no, I've never heard anything. So, so how about we give a hand to everybody that was helping out with our coffee hour this morning? Truly, truly was a privilege um, being able to get down there and talk. I actually was down there for too long. I had to get back up. Tammy actually had to come pull me up because she was like, you know, you're, you're spending too much time down there. You've got to get up here and get ready. Um, but uh, before we get into the message, uh, what, I, what I want you guys to realize is that this message, it's, I, I was talking with Rachel and her mom last night, and I was saying, this is a message that I've, I've never really taught much before. Um, we're talking about why freedom is good, right? And we're talking about the ideas of freedom and the ideas of America, and yes, some of it will get somewhat political-minded. But a lot of it has to do with the wrath of God, which is something that I struggle with preaching and that I've prayed over a lot, and something that I want to communicate to you before we even get to this. I mean, we, we sing these songs... And we, and we say these words, but we realize, especially with the Battle Hymn of the Republic, that God is strongly fighting for the cause of freedom. We talk about his terrible swift sword. Who's that coming against? It's coming against those who oppose the freedom that God is, himself is the author of, the author of liberty himself. And so as I say this, and as I'm going to preach boldly, and I'm going to preach Jesus from this pulpit this morning, I want you to approach this message without any subtexts. Now, what is what I mean by subtext? I mean, afterwards, we might be thinking, oh, he meant this, or he meant this thing, or, or was he talking about this in, in politics today? And if you're feeling that way, you can feel free to talk to me. I'll be open and honest and, and talk to you. But I'm, I, I want to challenge you guys this morning to think about the ideas that I put in front of you. Because I think that when we, when we do that, when we actually think about what people are saying and what the Bible is saying, and we take ourselves out of that context and put ourselves into the context of Scripture, we can actually learn what God's trying to tell us. We can see what the original blueprint for freedom is, which inspired the freedom that we have today and that, we, that so many people have died for. It gives the freedom that we're given the kind of respect it's given. That being said, I'm going to ask you guys a question. And it's not going to be why. It's going to be when you think of the 4th of July. What do you think of? For a lot of people, right, the 4th of July, it is this amazing spectacle. It's fireworks. It's the celebration of of a beautiful country that was born and, and bought and paid for with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And it is, it's an amazing feat that America had to come over and had to overcome to become the America that we know today. And we're supposed to be celebrating it. To the more, pacifi- or the more um, pessimistic of us, the 4th of July is a roadblock on the way to change, and that America is not perfect, and it never will be, and we need to be constantly working on it. 
Still, there are some of us that see Fourth of July from the childhood wonder of hot dogs, hamburgers, and fireworks. And what are we supposed to think about the Fourth of July? If you're anything like me, the idea of these freedoms that we enjoy, we can enjoy them, right? The, the simplicity of it, the simplicity of, of stuff like the coffee hour this morning where it's like, we have so many baked goods to choose from, and we can choose from any of them. But what happens when we have to choose the fate of a person and their life? What happens when we have to make decisions about, call it like I see it, the God that we serve? I mean, one nation under God, yes, but we also have a freedom of religion in this country. Wouldn't it be easier if we didn't have that freedom? If we could just tell people that, yes, you, if you would just worship Jesus, I promise you that it will be better. You know, if you, you mandate it, you know, mandate morality, this, it's this thing that, that we all love to think about because we want people to love our God just the same way. And if they knew just how much God loved them, then maybe, maybe they would choose it for themselves after a while. And see, freedom's a tricky thing because freedom, it can be good. Freedom can be the choice to choose the right thing. It can be the choice to have a hot dog over a hamburger, to have a hamburger. Or it can be the choice to watch this fireworks show or the choice to go on a drive, the choice to do what we wish with our time off, to, to work where we want to work. But we can also choose to do terrible and awful things. We can choose to hurt people. We can choose to be unfaithful to God. We can choose to have idolatry. Wouldn't it be better to just not have freedom at all? I'm going to tell you no. I'm glad I'm going to tell you no because it's the 4th of July and it'd be really bummer if I said freedom is not good. Freedom is good because God made it good. And I'm going to tell you how God made it good. But, but we need to ask ourselves, why is freedom good? And so with asking why is freedom good, I want to take a look at some of the passages that Pastor Brett had just read us. From Jeremiah 34, 12 to 14a, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with your ancestors when I bought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I said, Every seventh year, each of you must free any fellow Hebrews who have sold themselves unto you. After they have served you six years, you just must let them go free. See, this passage of Scripture shows us the first reason why freedom is good. The first reason why freedom is good is freedom is a purposeful gift from God. It's something that God bestowed upon his people. He bestowed it upon the ancient Hebrews. Now, you might ask the question, why? Why, for all of the reasons that we had discussed previously, why would you give freedom? And, and especially, why in the way that he did? I mean, if God wanted to free the slaves, why didn't he just free them and then say, never have slaves? And if God wanted to have slaves, then why did he implement freedom at all? It's a little bit complicated. Why did God create this complex system? He could have implemented slavery or freedom to its fullest extent, but he had a purpose in this gift of freedom that he gave to each and every one of us. And it is seen inside of this complex system that he gives. And just to point this out to you guys, in Jeremiah 34, the people of Judah are about to, go under, uh, about to be enslaved again by Babylon. This is partially what we were talking about when we were reading Jeremiah 34. 
And when God speaks, he says, I told your ancestors right after I took them out of slavery, right after I liberated them, that this is the way that we're going to do freedom in God's kingdom, with God's people, in God's way. And so these ancient Hebrews in Deuteronomy, these are the ancestors of the people that we're talking about these mornings. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 15 and see the exact system that God had set up to give the slaves their freedom in ancient Israel. It's Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 15. It says, If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Can we just take a moment to think about the beauty of, of the simplicity of the law of God for a second? That God doesn't have, you don't have to ask why for this specific thing. He tells you in verse 15, he says, this is why I give you this command. He says he did this so that they would remember their slavery and offer his redemption. He gave them this freedom. See, God didn't ordain slaves to simply be freed because that has nothing to do with the memory that they had from Egypt. Sure, they were freed, but they were also taken care of. They were also loved. They had food raining from the sky to provide for them, and they were set on the course to the promised land. And see, the Hebrews, they understood what it meant to be slaves. People talk about the pyramids, and they talk about Egypt, and they say, Egypt, it's, it's one of the wonders of the world. They say it shows the simple might of the Egyptian empire. When we look at all of these pyramids built up to the skies, enshrining pharaoh after pharaoh after pharaoh, but what we fail to realize is that, sure, the Egyptian strength was good, but what Egyptians did to get those pyramids was they conquered people and they had Hebrew slaves working on those pyramids. The greatness that they had, the sheer work ethic that was put into it, was built on the back of Hebrew slaves. And see, slaves, they were treated poorly simply for worshiping their God. They, if they weren't worshiping Pharaoh, if they weren't worshiping this hawk god Horus, or, or the sun god Ra, or whatever gods that the Egyptians had at that time period, they weren't worshiping the right god. They would get beat badly. And this isn't like just getting beat like, you know, oh, I did something bad, so my dad's spanking me. This is like beat. This is like in the dead of summer, in the desert, the hot Egyptian sun walking as you're walking and you're not working fast enough. You're not laying the bricks fast enough. Your feet are blistering, and you get beat because you're not going fast enough. And this got worse, especially when you have this raving madman, as they would have seen it, in Moses, saying, let my people go. God is saying, let my people go, let my people go. And then Pharaoh worked them harder, beat them almost nearly to death every day. There were, there were Hebrews that died in the streets like a dog. That was the reality of Hebrew, of Hebrew slavery. And this is something that they remember. And they still remember to this day. If you've ever been to a, a Jewish Seder meal 
where they celebrate the Passover. Now, when we think of Passover, we think, obviously, of the blood on the door. We think of the, um, the last plague that God had put on Egypt, which, fun fact, if you want to um, see how God fights those who oppress, fights those who don't want freedom, just look at Egypt, look at the plagues. That's what God's terrible swift sword looks like when it comes to the enemies of freedom and the freedom that he tries to implement. That's what it looks like. But when they celebrate the Passover and they celebrate the Passover meal, one of the first things that they do is they eat bitter herbs and salt water. And I went to one of these Passover meals and I thought to myself, this is really, really weird. Like, like why are we eating like root, like horseradish? Like it, it's, this is not a good appetizer. <laughs> And then they would have you drink from a cup of salt water. You think, this is like the most unappetizing thing I've ever eaten. (laughs) It's like nothing like we had this morning. It was completely gross. But there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose in this meal. The purpose is that when you eat this bitter plant, you're supposed to remember the bitter pain that the Hebrews, their ancestors felt that the Israelites felt when they were under Egypt. And when you drink that salt water, it is supposed to be the blood, sweat, and tears of the ancient ancient Hebrews that were working there, that were enslaved there. They remember their slavery every day. But here's the beautiful thing, is they don't just remember that pain, but then later towards dessert, they have dessert and they have apple. But usually this apple always consists, this apple dish that they have, it always consists of honey. There's always a reason for that. It's because they were promised the land of milk and honey. They were brought out of, they remember their slavery and they remember their redemption at the exact same time, in the exact same meal, at the exact same table. Because they're not different events. They were slaves and they were set free. See, God didn't just liberate them. He leaded them. He redeemed them. He promised them something new. He promised them freedom. And he led them to the promised land. See, what God is trying to implement here is the idea that the Hebrews can obey and love God by remembering their redemption and passing it along as they bought slaves and then their slaves, after six years, they would free them. But this is not the only purpose. It's not just for them. It's not just for their remembering and for the intellect. It's for the heart. See, God is is a God of the heart, the hands, and the mind. So he's engaging the hands and saying, you actually have to set them free. But he's also engaging the mind and saying, you remember, you remember your slavery. You remember you were no more beaten like a dog. Remember when I, I freed you, remember the bitter herbs. You remember the tears and the sweat and the hot Egyptian sun. But he also has a different, a different reasoning for this in Deuteronomy 15, 16 to 17. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family is well off with you. Then take an awe and push it through his earlobe into the door and consider him your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. Which, just a side note, this is where piercings, this is where gauges come from, this, um, especially biblically when people talk about it. A lot of people bring up this verse when they talk about um, piercings, which is just, just a nice little fact, just a nice little thing for you guys to think about when you're talking about an awe. It's actually them piercing the ear and saying, you know, this is a part of my family. But he also says in verse 18, do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because their service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as a hired hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. 
See, what we see here, the second reason why freedom is good is because the success of freedom is dependent on God and his standards. Now, what do I mean by that? See, here God implements freedom, but he incentivizes relationship. If he could have just freed the slaves just as much as he could have sent a thousand angels to take Jesus off the cross, he could have done things the simple way, but God sets things up for a reason. Imagine this. Imagine you're getting this help from this guy. And by the way, at this point, Hebrew slaves, they were selling themselves. So this isn't exactly a parallel to slavery that we know of today. This is Hebrew slavery, where if I'm Landon and I'm talking to Pastor Brett, I'm like, hey, Pastor Brett, um, I'm going to sell myself to you for about, you know, as, as long as you need. But then after six, seven years, I'm free to go because of the law in Deuteronomy. And the encouragement of what God is doing this for is because he's saying, if you love your servants well, if you loved your slaves well, at that point, you could have them forever. If you provided for them, if you cared for them. They could stay with you and be a part of that family, be marked with a piercing, be marked with blood, be marked inside of a family that is under God. It sounds like freedom to me. It sounds like a choice of love. But he's also saying in verse 18 something that's very interesting. He's saying, don't consider it a hardship when your servant leaves. Because he gave you more than a hired hand would have. So he's saying you can still love this person, take care of this person more than you ought to, more than culturally would have been acceptable because guess what? They're just property. But you're supposed to love them and care for them, treat them like family. And they can still choose to leave you and you have nothing that you can do about it according to God's law. This is the, this is the type of freedom that God is setting up. Setting up a freedom that the person that is taking care of, that is getting the benefits of it, that is getting the work, that they get a choice, whether to be a part of a family or to not be a part of a family under God. They get that choice. And the person that is employing this person, that is giving this person work, they are to love them regardless of what they choose. See, when you know God and you know his law and you know who he is, this is very obvious to you what he wants out of this, what the goal of freedom is. The reason why freedom is so good is because what God wants is he wants people to love each other so well that they would choose to stay in relationship, that they would build a loving relationship with one another. He wants these people to start families instead of farms and plantations and pain. He wants people to come under him. He wants to be the head of the family. He wants people to remember that while they were once slaves, that they shouldn't treat them, their slaves like that. They shouldn't be making them eat bitter herbs. They shouldn't be making them taste their own sweat. They should be eating milk and honey for the rest of their lives because that's who their God is, and they're a part of the family now. They're not property. It's relationship. But he also wants them to choose that family. And he wants to teach the people that when people don't choose that family, that's what it feels like when we reject him. And it's going to make us more like him. It's going to sanctify us that we love no matter what people do to us, no matter if they don't live by God's standards, if they don't want to be a part of this family, we love them into the family. 
Because the freedom that you will enjoy in a family of God is not the same type of freedom that you will enjoy from the world. When you leave that family, you go out on your own. You don't have what you need to provide for yourself. You spend it. You're like the prodigal son. But you could come back and be a part of this family. But I think oftentimes when we teach the prodigal son, we see it always from that perspective. We never see it from the perspective of the father who had to love every single day. This is the perspective that God is trying to show with freedom. That people will choose not to love you. People will choose not to obey you. People will choose not to follow your standard and you are called to love them anyway. Those people, you know who I'm talking about. The people that we don't agree with. The people that grew up different from us. The people that do things that are not in God's standards. The people that are on the wrong side of the aisle. The people that are the reason for all the problems that we have today. When they irritate us, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to remember our redemption. Remember our slavery. Remember our depravity. Remember where we came from. Remember that we weren't always a part of this family. Remember that we weren't always the older brother. That we, were, we had lost our way too. And love anyway. It's not your job to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's your job to love, but love by God's standards. Say, look, God has a standard. You, if you're going to be here, right, if you're going to work for me, if you're going to be a part of this family, you're going to work. You're going to live this way, right? But I will love you even if you choose not to. My love is unconditional. See, for the Hebrews, the only thing that they would have lost in that exchange is they would have lost what, what it says in this passage. They would have lost some wine from their wine press. They would have lost some livestock. They would have lost some, you know, some sheep, a couple goats. What did God lose when he bought and paid for you? What did he have to endure? He lost his son. And just a small taste of that sacrifice, just a small taste of that rejected love. And people, when Jesus died and he came back again, I'm going to tell you something. Not everybody still loves him today. I know, shocking, right? But he still loves them anyway. And when we do that too, we grow and we get more sanctified. We love better. So, so this is a beautiful plan, right? This is a, a wonderful plan that God has set up. He set up freedom to incentivize love, to incentivize relationship, to incentivize becoming more holy and living more by his standards. So what went wrong? Why does not everybody do this? Why are we so divided? Why aren't we united? I mean, God, this is literally an instruction manual of freedom set up to give people unity. So why are we not unified? Why are we the divided states of America these days? Why didn't it work out that way? Why do countries all over the globe, and yes, including America, struggle with implementing God's freedom? Simple. It's sin. It's the same reason why we don't love the way that we're supposed to. And this is the issue that the Hebrews were dealing with in Jeremiah 34, 15 to 16. It says, Recently you repented and did what is right in my sight. You implemented that good freedom. Each of you proclaimed freedom for your own people. 
You even made a covenant in the house that bears my name, but you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves that you had set free to go where they wished. You forced them to become your slaves again. This is something that the Hebrews of Jeremiah's time and Moses' time both did not abide by. They were consumed by this faithless selfishness. And it destroyed the freedom that God had tried to implement, that they implemented at the first, but they couldn't let it be because their their faithless selfishness is what lost it. Now, Now, let's not be too hard on them. Right? I know I just said that they were faithless and selfish, and you know, uh, but let's be real here. Right? There were some people that were, that were like just downright nasty about it, I'm sure. People that were like, well, you know, the profit margins are not up since we you know, released Jerry the other day, so Jerry got to come back. I don't care if Jerry likes it or not. But there were some people that were genuinely scared. People that said, listen, when I set Jerry away, Like, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I don't know what I'm going to do. See, one is selfishness. It's just straight-up selfishness because you're saying, you know, oh, you know, my stocks are down or or we're not producing enough or we can't sell enough or it's not not going the right way. And the other one is is a genuine concern, right? It's understandable. But that's where the devil tricks you into seeing that these two things are okay because this one's understandable. But they're both faithless. They're both faceless that God will not provide if you do it his way, if you implement his freedom, if you do what he says. We let fear motivate us and motivate our freedom. We are not one country under fear, my friends. We are one country under God. But more and more and more we turn to fear. We turn to the channels. We turn to politicians, people that stoke the fear even when it's understandable. Keep your eyes off of it. It's that fear that inspires a lack of faith, and it brings people to sin, and it breaks down the very freedom that inspired this beautiful country that we are celebrating today. And enough about the ancient Hebrews. What about us? I mean, this is the 4th of July, after all. We can't just be sitting here talking about Israel. That would seem slightly unpatriotic. We didn't do a pledge to their flag. We did a pledge to our flag. How is this implemented today for us? I mean, look at our history. Look at July 4th itself. We declared our independence from Britain because they did not treat us the way we deserve to be treated. When you think about the Revolutionary War, people eating horses just for the fact that they don't want to be oppressed by these people anymore, you can see the fact of how bad it really was. That was their bitter herbs. That was their tears and salt water. Between abhorrent taxation... Soldiers stationing themselves in private residences and even the massacre in Boston that happened that sparked off the the, the Revolutionary War. It is apparent that the British government was not treating their their colonial servants well. The freedom that they were giving them to this new world, this exploration, it was beginning to be stifled because of fear, because of profit, because of selfish faithlessness. And anyone here could argue and say this, this was bad for the British government, that they weren't redeeming their servants by caring for them. They're actually ruling with fear. And so once the war was over, once we got that, we were like the, the Hebrews after seven years. We were free. 
But I'm going to tell you something that we don't often hear in our history classes was that in the War of 1812, there was uh, some talks to come back under Britain. That Britain and, and America were in war over what? Over trading. Over what? Over trading. Over what? Over selfish faithlessness. Sin. It got so bad to the point, now the war, some people will say that the war was fought and it was, it was Britain trying to reinvade. That's, a, that's an opinion, and it's a very different one. What we do know to be true is that there were naval ships, British naval ships, that raided American vessels and claimed that the men were now British and they will now pay British taxes for the rest of their lives. Interesting. It's almost like what we were just learning about in Jeremiah 34, just trying to seize control again because of fear. Faithless selfishness leads to sin. And while we do want to sit and we want to talk about the hardships under the British, because that's our remembering. That's, we remember when we were slaves, we were hurt and we were oppressed. We also need to remember that we are not that different. The conflict that tore this state in half, or not this state, this country in half, the conflict of the Civil War, it nearly destroyed America because slave owners had a selfish fear that they would lose their slaves. This is an idea that originated as far back as the establishment of America. The founding fathers did not free slaves because they feared economical collapse, so they kicked it down the road. Even some of your best abolitionist people in the founding fathers, they just said, we'll, we'll, let, it, we'll let it, it'll, it'll die a slow death until the cotton gin got invented and then it became profitable. See, that selfishness, it, it comes back again. This faithlessness, it comes back again. It's starting to look a little bit less like the freedom for all men to be created equal under one God, under one rule, under his standards. His standards go out the window, and they are embraced for profit margins, for faithlessness, for selfishness, for sin. See, humanity in itself, because of fear, time and time again, have failed to implement God's freedom because they try to do God's freedom under man's standards and it doesn't work. One nation under man will never, ever, ever prevail because one nation under man will always be a house divided. And what happens to a house divided? It cannot stand. Those are words by Jesus, words by the one president that united the entire country together in its most crippling time, this civil war, a house divided cannot stand. How do we unite it? His standards, his freedom, his way, the way that inspired the freedoms that we have. Yes, the great emancipator, he helped do that, but he didn't do that by himself. People always quote Lincoln with a house divided did not stand, but Lincoln was quoting Jesus. Because when you have to unite people, who do you look to? When you have to unite people under God, who do you look to? You look to Jesus. See, so look at this from Jeremiah 34, 17 to 20. It says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So now I proclaim freedom for you. And, and here's the thing, right? I love this because I'm a Bible nerd. Um, the beautiful thing about this is, like, God is so, like, God made us in his image. So we do things and we say things and we think, oh, God would never do that. But God, he actually uses sarcasm here. He says, you failed to proclaim freedom to your own people. So I'll proclaim freedom, it's even in quotes, freedom 
for you. It says, freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. Whoa, that's not freedom, that's death. Um, I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. Those who have violated my covenant and will not have fulfilled my terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and walk between its pieces. Division, not unity. He's comparing the nation that's supposed to be united under him to a calf that they cut in two and it is bleeding out. He says, the leaders of Judah, Jerusalem, the courts of the officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walk between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become like food for the birds and the wild animals. See, God's freedom is good because God will always avenge his freedom. It will always come with the terrible swift sword. Wherever there's oppression, wherever freedom and and restriction come in that is not abiding by his standards, God wins in the end. That's just the facts. No matter how hard you try to fight it, no matter what side you go on to try to fight it, no matter who you look to, what country, what leader, what politician, what channel, you will not defeat it because God will always avenge his freedom. See, I had to do a report on Ezekiel. It was, it was one of the prophecies from Ezekiel, and it was talking about Egypt, talking about these people, these people that oppressed the slaves. And he said, Egypt. He compared it to the cedar, the greatest cedar tree in Lebanon. Cedar tree. Massive tree, dude. Huge tree. And he's saying, you are the biggest of all of them. The trees in the Garden of Eden look at that tree and they say, whoa, that's a big tree. That's pretty much what what it was saying. And he says, you know what I'm going to do to that tree? Because this tree got so big, this tree, Egypt, got so big, and the Pharaoh got so big and high and mighty and thought, you know what, my freedom, my way, my selfishness, it's high, it's big. He said, you know what I'm going to do to that tree? I'm going to, and this, this is why I love God so much, because he does not mince word. He's like, I'm going to cut that tree down, I'm going to send it to hell. Because no one stands taller than the I am, than God. Nobody will put anything over, above God. Everything is under God. And when something tries to match it, when something tries to rise over it, that's where we get his terrible swift sword. See, is this, I want to share with you guys a quote from Thomas Jefferson. It reads, The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. This is a quote that has been in the news and has possibly been misquoted a lot. Um, it's a quote from the man that you know, helped draft the Declaration of Independence. Man that helped draft some of France's Declarations of Independence. Man that believed in freedom, that understood freedom. Um, but also a man that owned probably more slaves than most of the founding fathers a man that took his Bible, crossed out everything that Jesus did miraculously because he believed that God created the world and then stepped away and left us to deal with it. This man, a man so depraved, yet he understood something. He understood that freedom will always cost something. That when oppression comes, the blood of tyrants will spill. When that cedar gets too high and tries to put God under it, God will cut it down. And it will stay down. See, when fear, oppression, and sin try to stifle freedom, when we look around and we say, oh my gosh, there's so much of this faithless selfishness everywhere. Everywhere I look, it's just selfish. 
Nobody believes that God's going to take care of them anymore. Don't worry, because God's going to take care of it. God's wrath will reinstitute freedom and peace. You can be assured of it. God only uses wrath to help the oppressed, to help the people that were robbed of their freedom. I'm going to make a statement right now, and it's not a statement that is biblical or that is based in the Bible, but it's a statement that you just might want to think about. When the Hebrews took back their slaves, God gave them their te- the, the terrible swift sword of his wrath. He punished them and he reinstituted freedom and peace. When the British in the War of 1812 came and they were selfish and they wanted all these trade embargoes and they were actually taking hostages, right? Who won that war? America, the oppressed, the people that were being put down. When this country was divided, right? And, and here's the beautiful thing about the Civil War. The Civil War, there were actually people in Europe because of the trade embargoes of cotton by the Union soldiers over to Europe. Europe was actually going to take the side of the Confederacy, Imagine that world where the Confederacy wins. But once the Emancipation Proclamation came out, Europe is like, you know what? If this is about slaves, if this is about freedom, I'm not stepping in. And guess what? They won. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying for sure because I don't know. Nobody could know that that God was fighting on the side of of whatever, but I know that God always fights on the side of freedom. I know that God always fights on the side of the oppressed. I know that God always fights for his standards, that God always fights for love, that God always fights for holiness. So you put two and two together and tell me what side would you like to stand on, the side of selfishness and sin and faithlessness or the side of God, the side of God that cuts down things that try to overpower him, like sin, like selfishness. See, it's the thoughts like this that that make freedom freedom messy, and and we can so far, you know, get negative about America. We can be pessimistic like those people we were talking about, but that's what makes America beautiful is the fact that it's a one nation under God by his standards. So don't let that slip. Because guess what? That freedom, it is bought and paid for with lives of our soldiers, lives of our good men and women. The blood of patriots, people that believe in Freedom. Make that a freedom worth believing in. What freedom's worth believing in? The freedom under God's standard. The freedom that says that the tree of liberty is not necessarily always refreshed by the blood of patriots and tyrants for all time. No, the freedom that says that the blood of liberty and freedom is satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ for all time, period. That's what freedom is. That's the freedom worth fighting for. That's the freedom worth refreshing with the blood of patriots and tyrants. The freedom that while we were still slaves to sin, Jesus ransomed us. He redeemed us so that we might remember with a purpose that you might ransom others indiscriminately. The purpose that you might look at his standard that he set for freedom and said, you know what freedom's supposed to do? Freedom is supposed to brand people together. It's supposed to unite them under me, make families Love one another so much, and if people don't love you, people walk away from you, you love them anyway, because that's what I did, even when it cost me my son, even when it cost me the hardest thing for me to part with, even when I had to turn my face away, when I took that terrible swift sword to my own son, and he bore the full wrath for your freedom to satisfy the blood 
to satisfy the tree of liberty for once and for all, for all those in his church, for all those who come under God. The people that started this nation, they, they were inspired by that freedom. That's what they looked to. But as the church, we can't sit on the sidelines anymore when we know what freedom is and we know who gave it to us. We can't just sit here and say, yes, it's okay for people to act faithlessly selfish. It's okay for us to elect people that are faithlessly selfish. It's okay for me to throw his standards out of the way in conversations. It's okay for me to not preach holiness. It's okay for me to not preach love. It's okay for me to look at this person and just because they're different on the different side of the aisle for me not to love them and lead with love. If you want true freedom, friends, you need to go to the source. You need to go to the reality. You need to go to the person that's not just going to refresh the tree of liberty, but the person that is going to satisfy it. When we remember that Jesus redeemed us, saving us from God's wrath, it gives us the faith to implement perfect freedom by his standards, under his rule. No matter what political party is in office, no matter who controls Congress, no matter who controls the Supreme Court, no matter who controls America, no matter who controls Mexico, Canada, whoever controls China, it does not matter. Because who controls it all? Whose standard are we under? What nation are we? We are a nation under God. A nation that is inspired by his standards. A nation that once being torn apart was reunited with the words of Jesus that a house divided would not stand but a house united under God will stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 